A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present. Just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. My name is Kevin Garcia. Welcome to another episode. I am glad you're here. I'm glad I'm queer and I'm going to drink a beer. <laughs> oh my gosh, That's, that for me never fails to tickle my fancy as far as like LOL phrases to say. Anyways, I'm going to keep this short because I know you've got things to do. I've got things to do. We want to jump into the conversation. But before I do, a little reminder, Wild Goose Festival is this weekend. It's actually starting tomorrow. So if you haven't bought your tickets yet or you just want to come last minute, go to wildgoosefestival.org slash tickets, get your stuff, and use the offer code GOOSECAST18 and save 25% on your tickets. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be there. Um, Jamie, the very worst missionary, is going to be there. Corey Pig is going to be there. Hannah Pash is going to... I'm not... <laughs> Hannah. Hannah Pash is going to be there. Emily Joe is going to be there. Micah J. Murray is going to be there. Jen Hatmaker is going to be there. Brian McLaren is going to be there. Um, Ruby Sales is going to be there. Um, Mickey Scott Bay Jones is going to be there. Robin Henderson Espinosa is going to be there. All the people that you want to be there are going to be there. Matthias Roberts, who is actually at my apartment right now hanging out, is going to be at uh, Wild Festival recording a live podcast of Queerology Friday at 1130 I'm going to be on the Goosecast stage Saturday at noon for the Failed Missionary podcast. And then my talk is Friday. You don't need to go to my Instagram. I posted my schedule there. Go check it out. I think that's all the announcements I have going on right now. Sorry I missed last week. I am actually, I I moved and uh, I have my own apartment now. It's beautiful and wonderful. and, And go check out my Instagram story yesterday so maybe it's not there anymore but either way i'll post pictures do a little tour on the youtube maybe later this week maybe next week who knows but either way um thank you for your patience thank you for your love um anyways that's why i wasn't here last week because i was being an adult human you know classic so today's conversation i bring to you is my with my new friend mihi kimcourt and mihi is um an author she is a presbyterian minister she's amazing and she just released her new book outside the lines how embracing queerness will transform your faith and it's such a fantastic book. Rachel Held Evans wrote the foreword to it. Um, before we dive into that, let me read a little bit about her. Mihi Kimcourt is an ordained Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA with degrees in divinity and theology from Princeton Theological Seminary and English Literature and Religious Studies from the University of Colorado in the beautiful city of Boulder. She's a PhD student in Religious Studies at Indiana University. Currently, she juggles various jobs, including being a wife to another Presbyterian minister while raising three children. Um, she's uh, preaching and speaking and writing, hanging out with young people, struggling with being an Enneagram 7 and wanting to do all the things, rabble-rousing in Bloomington and liking too many posts on Facebook and admiring people on Twitter and Instagram. Mihi was born in Seoul, Korea, and her parents immigrated here shortly after her birth. Settling in Colorado, she was baptized in the Methodist Church before her family joined a local Korean Presbyterian PCUSA church. She loves all things in the church and believes what in what God is doing in and through it, despite the huge failings and egos that plague the human institution of said church. Because she was born outside of the margins where God's spirit has always moved and been present, she is doing everything she can to see it and help others feel that too. Um, she's a blogger. You can find her on the internet. I'll give all the links afterwards. But in this conversation, we talk um, a lot about her identity as a woman of color, a woman of color who preaches, and also just discovering her queerness as someone who is married to a man and has children in a whole family situation. It's a really fantastic conversation. So go ahead, share this with your friend already. Grab yourself a cup of joe or whatever you fancy, and let's dive into this fantastic conversation with my friend, Mihi Kimcord. Oh my goodness. Okay, wait, how old are you? Because I feel like you're young, but then I feel like you're old. I'm very confused. How old do you think I am? Um, like, I feel like you could be in your early 20s, but then I feel like you know things like you should be, like you would be in your 30s. You know what? I received that word. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's very confusing. I'm kind of dis- I'm like disoriented a little bit. I am 28 years of age. Oh, wow. Okay. And <clears throat> I guess like a little bit of my backstory and then we'll get into your backstory and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, grew up evangelical, like so many of us, mm-hmm. um, and knew I was supposed to be a pastor from a very, very young age, mm. like nine years old, like when I got baptized and my uncle was the pastor wow. and my mother was the worship leader. And so it was practically a PK. Yeah. And then what had happened was, um, figured out that I was attracted to boys in high school and that just like threw me for a loop because who knew what to do with that? Not me. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward to, uh, you know, going to college and my, my family life kind of being in, uh, tumultuous, my dad decided to leave. And then I decided to be a rebellious child if you will and didn't do too many crazy things but like for like an evangelical pk like it was crazy like drinking at parties and (laughs) kissing boys on the sly like it was real wild yeah um i love it and then one of my fraternity brothers brought me to church one day because i missed i missed god a whole lot and because i missed god so much i feel like i got wrapped up in the emotion and uh excitement of a pentecostal tradition and learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about prayer, learned a lot more about the Bible than I ever thought I could know as far as just like the stories of the Bible. Yeah. And became a missionary because I thought that if I did something, if I went chasing a miracle around the world, then maybe that miracle would be my own sanctification. And what I meant by sanctification would be like, I was going to become straight and that was the hope. Um, And then didn't work, came home um, and then, you know, worked for a Christian nonprofit for a while until I realized that uh, this wasn't going away and I needed to figure out how to do it or how to live my life in light of that, whether it was going to be celibacy or coming out. Mm. And I just felt God calling me out. And so I stepped into just becoming a, uh, you know, trying to live my best life and trying to press into all of who I am. And now three years later, more close, I guess it's only been two and a half years, but it's felt like I've lived three lifetimes in yeah. these past two and a half years because there's been, it's been like an accelerated thing. I feel like, mm. um, my life has been catching up with me and I've got a whole lot of really, really amazing people around me who have like taught me and mentored me and are still teaching and mentoring me, which is probably why, um, people think I'm a lot wiser than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, uh, yeah, there's something about I don't know. You have like a really wonderful confidence and not like the obnoxious kind of confidence that is often associated with white men, but like, I don't know. It's just really compelling and charming and funny and interesting. So yeah, there must be something there. You're obviously really intelligent. You're really brilliant and creative. Wow. These are such kind words and I've been having such a shitty weekend, like going into this week. So like, these are kind (laughs) words. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm being totally sincere. I'm just, yeah, really blown away by who you are and what you do and, um, thanks and everything. So also fun thing. I may, uh, look white because I have a gender beard, a ginger beard, but I am actually Mexican Filipino from my father's side. What? (laughs) Yeah. My last name is Garcia. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Obviously. God, I'm an idiot. Where's my fucking coffee? Okay. Uh, I'm so sorry. That is super insulting. Like, you know, it's okay. But like, you know what you, I think you were right about saying just like, we all need to have the confidence of a mediocre white man and we'll all be fine. I know. I just like, that's what I aim for every day of my life. (laughs) No, that's real talk though. It's just like, I I can't remember who, it was like one of my Twitter friends said just like, I wonder how many white men go into Christian ministry just because they were mediocre at everything else. And this is (laughs) the one thing they'll get a gold star for. (laughs) And then I said, right, it was like, honestly, they could fart into a microphone and everyone would hail them as a prophet. Oh my God. Maybe that is the central issue. The problem of the church today is just, yeah, we got the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, they, they've settled. The church has settled. And we're here to say, hey, guys, don't settle for um, less than educated. Don't settle for um, less than brilliant. There are yeah. plenty of us out here. Um, honestly, mega churches out there, you can hire me. Yeah. Like, I'm not below. We'll redistribute the, the money mm-hmm. where it needs to go. We'll yeah. eat the rich, the whole nine yards. <laughs> don't settle for bad facial hair. Oh my god! Like tie dye soul patch, the, the soul patch of the early two thousands. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Sometimes I I'm see it, like, yeah, and I'm like, whoa, what year is this? 
it's it's bad <laughs> maybe you know what queer eye needs to do queer eye needs to go like into a mega church and just like actually not make them over but like give them a spiritual makeover and say "Ooh, ideas i love it i feel like i had a spiritual makeover watching one of the episodes but it's been a while Oh my when gosh, did I watch every it? single episode, it's like, I, I tear up yeah. and I can't help it. <laughs> oh, I love that. Everyone's been talking about season two, episode one, where yeah. they go to uh, gay Georgia and make over this woman who is like a mother of this black church and she has a gay son. And she, at the very end of the episode, spoiler alert for everybody, okay. but go watch it anyways. She looks at the, her congregation on like homecoming Sunday and says, I have a gay son and I didn't always love him the way I should. And basically said, I dare you to tell me I should be any different. I was like, come on, mama. Oh my gosh. That gives me goosebumps. It's spiritual. It is so good. Um, Speaking of queerness and uh, things that we enjoy and (laughs) things like that, you know who's incredibly hard to find on the internet? Who? You, Miss Mihi Kim Court. <laughs> really? Are you being sarcastic? I feel like I'm. Well, I mean, I wanted to go to, like, to your website to like stalk you a little bit. Oh, I'm damn. just like, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I think I forgot to pay something, and now and just expect- <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to figure that out. That is super problematic, though. I need to figure that out. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, like, it's all goes. I, I googled you on Sojourners to figure out who you was, what she's about. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, saw your book come up on Amazon, and I'm just like, this person could be quite interesting. So, before I like ask you questions about stuff, could you, for people who don't know your work or what you're about, give us a little like snapshot of who you are, what you're about, what you're doing these days, what you've been doing, just like your cocktail party pitch. Ooh, yeah, my my little <laughs> cocktail party pitch. Oh, Everyone man. says elevator speech. I'm yeah. just like, how are you? I'm never talking to anyone in an elevator. No, never. Yeah, you're right. That just like never has resonated with me. It just, in fact, really terrified me. It made me think <laughs> like nobody – do people really do that? Okay, so cocktail party. Um, ordained pre- – yeah, yeah. <laughs> ordained Presbyterian minister in the Presbyterian Church USA um, since 2000 and – oh, Lordy sh- – I feel like I should have my ordination date um, or at least a year. (laughs) It's like on par with like your wedding anniversary, maybe 2005. Yeah. So it's been a while. Um, And served a couple of Presbyterian churches as an associate pastor. And then we, my husband and I, um, we got pregnant with twins and had them. Then we moved to Bloomington for his job, uh, which is where we live right now in Indiana and uh, I've written a book or a few. Well, I mean, I edited a book and then I co-authored a book with Andy, with my husband, and then um, just recently came out, or this next one is being released um, this weekend, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, July 1. Oh, God help us. Um, So I've been doing campus ministry for the last however many years, whenever we moved to Bloomington. So 2011 uh, helped start a help started a um, Presbyterian campus ministry. And, and then I stepped down from that uh, because I started the doctoral program in religious studies at Indiana university this past year. Wow. So it's been busy. So, you know, we have three children, there are seven and seven and five and they're the devil, you know, (laughs) 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 Um, they're wonderful and beautiful and incredible, but I, um, they're also children. Yeah. I'm so exhausted. (laughs) I'm so tired. Um, but it's been really good. It's been fun. And, um, you know, I've been trying to do a little bit of writing. Um, I cobbled together a lot of random side projects here and there just to kind of keep busy and keep creative. So I had a podcast for like, a second. I probably have 20, 25 episodes. It was a fun thing to do, but it was so much work. Yeah. Um, so I did that. And then, yeah, now I'm just, you know, it's summer and I just dropped the kids off at soccer camp and I have to go and pick them up in like an hour and a half. Great. Well, I'll make sure to get you off the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I could go get them while we're still talking. They have made some appearances on Pat on past podcasts, but it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. I I personally love that. I actually interviewed one of my friends who's in California and like in the middle of it, her dogs just went wild. (laughs) I love that. 
I'm just like, and I said, and like anytime, and then I was like on the phone with Vicky Beaching like a couple weekends ago, and like the car alarm went off outside. I'm just like, listen, all you people with money for fancy podcast studios yeah. must be nice because yeah. the rest of us out here in these streets are recording in our friend's room because you need to get out of the apartment because you were yeah. going cabin fever crazy. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's so funny. I just try to keep it 100% real. Yeah. So what was so interesting to me is like, as I was reading through just like your bio and stuff, like your stuff on like um, the Chafee management group where your, um, your speaking stuff is. Um, and just a couple of other different things. It's just like, you really have been busy, like ed- editing and writing books. And like you said, being a campus pastor and now going into your doctorate and now releasing this new book, which um, is uh, on how you discovered your queerness and embracing that as a, a wife and mom, Presbyterian minister, and also like being somebody who is could be in a relationship that's considered straight passing, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So tell me, just like pitching me the book too. Like tell me like uh, how did this book come about? What was your process in in writing it? Yeah. So also, let's start, let's start here. Yeah. What inspired, I mean, I obviously know what inspired it, but just like yeah. what kind of like gave you this like thing. It was like, I need to write this book specifically. Yeah. So when we moved to Bloomington and I had nothing to do and I was in the throes of postpartum depression and yeah, trying to figure out what to do. We have this wonderful, you know, the flagship campus of Indiana university is in Bloomington. Uh, one of the like premier, and I almost feel like it maybe is even the first official gender studies department in the U.S. Mm. Um, was uh, was started at IU. So okay, so I'm thinking like okay, I've got this great university. You can go and audit classes, and um, I've always been interested in um, gender studies and right. women's studies and. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'll just check out these classes. Um, so I started auditing to politics of marriage. That was uh, fantastic. I mean, it just really kind of blew the doors wide open mm-hmm. around all the sort of traditional scripts and structures about marriage um, and the way that we, I mean, it's just in the air that we breathe and we don't even think about what we're doing with marriage and how we uphold marriage as an institution, that it's just sort of the defining characteristic for people as human beings or as citizens or as like legitimate grownups. Um, and right. so, you know, it was just such a really interesting and fun class. And so then I took a couple more classes um, and those were really specifically delving into queer theory and queer of color critique. And uh, my first exposure to any kind of writing around um, queerness and sexuality and gender identity. And so, you know, I'm reading like, um, you know, that the, the, the uh, Judith Butler and um, just all the classic stuff. Um, and then a lot of queer of color uh, writers that I never would have encountered. So there was something happening there for me. Um, I felt like there was a language that I was learning that helped me to connect to what was happening to me internally and had been happening for a while, but I never could put words to it and was maybe likely even afraid to put words to it, or there was a lot of shame sort of wrapped around it. Um but here was something that uh, that just basically set me free. And so like those classrooms, um, those discussions, like I felt like, you know, I'm surrounded by, for the most part, queer identifying people. And it's pretty diverse. And I felt like I was in church or something or in this incredible Bible study. Do you remember like that one Bible study that you were a part of that just made everything um, – like so real and so powerful and it just kind of made sense. And then you're like, Oh yeah, this is it. You know, this whole Jesus thing, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember that in college for sure. And, and it was that same sort of feeling in this, um, in this particular gender studies class. And so I wanted to, I had a lot of questions about um, queerness and, and theology and faith. And um, I had gone to seminary before this obviously, and then had read um, some queer theologies, mostly, um, in one particular class, and it was later on in seminary. And so, you know, we just kind of skimmed, through, skimmed the surface a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's Marcella Altas reads Queer God and um, Indecent Theology. And I remember that, I remember that kind of sort of creating a crack in some of my um, really 
uh, structured sort of systems of understanding, but I didn't it's really delve. It's always one thing. Right? It's, the whole yeah, yeah. And so, but I didn't delve into it anymore. I thought, okay, this is awesome. The writing is really incredible. Uh, I didn't pursue it anymore. And so I returned to that um, through these gender studies courses. And I was thinking about evangelicalism. I was thinking a lot about purity and um, the way that purity and virginity, how that's weaponized against certain bodies. Yes. Um, and so I wanted to do something more with it. And so I approached Fortress Press and said, can I write a book about queerness and faith? And they were all for it. Um, I ended up writing a couple of chapters and they sent it back saying, this isn't good. This is too academic. You're using a lot of block quotes. <laughs> I was writing like it was a term paper, like a research paper for class. <laughs> and right, they were right. just like, nope, nope, nope. And then I thought, okay, this is going to be a lot harder than I expected because at least, you know, with the academic language, I could sort of hide behind it. You know, mm. I, I didn't really have to sort of confront or deal with what I was um, struggling with internally. And so I thought, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to dive in. I'm going to try to make sense of um, not only this particular topic, but like, what does it mean for me and how is it relevant? And so um, I was super inspired by this Asian American, a Korean American um, film director and producer. Um, he, his name is Andrew on. He came out to IU for something um, like a couple of years ago. And I remember him describing these short documentaries and these short films that he created and basically he was like, this was my way of coming out. And I loved that. Like the sense of what you create and produce is an expression of, you know, whatever season of life you're in. And for him, it was coming out. And so then I started to look at and approach this writing as a way of coming out, as sort of a coming out process, a coming to myself, like a coming out and being queer, coming in and living into queerness. Mm-hmm. Um and then the sense of um, letting other people come to me in terms of surrounding me with um, love and affirmation um, and seeing me and accepting me and saying that this is this is important and this is necessary for who you are. Um, so it ended up being super emotional and sort of traumatic. And, um, and we can talk about this in a little bit as well. I mean, in terms of just, you know, what it's done and is doing to my current relationships, like with my family and with right. my husband and, um, and then just trying to continue to articulate, you know, what does it mean to be queer? And like you said, to be straight passing, to be cisgendered, to be married to a cis hetero man, to be a mother to children. Um, and then still feel, um, you know, if I were to pick some sort of designation, I'd probably pick buyer pan, but you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I think any kind of labels or categories and that's, I, that's why queerness I think is useful and helpful and meaningful for me. Yeah. Dang. You just put it all out there. Yes. Oh my God. It's, <laughs> it's been a process. You know, it's one thing to think about it. It's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to even write about it, but you know, these opportunities mm-hmm. to verbalize it, um, with people and not just with my husband or not with just really close friends. Um, yeah. But you, putting yourself out there on the internet is, or in any, like, I mean, you wrote a freaking book about this. So it's just like, um, I was, uh, I was listening to Suzanne Stabile's podcast. She had an interview with Nadia Boltzweber recently mm-hmm. and something Nadia said, she's like, anything you put out on the internet or on the public platform anywhere automatically becomes fodder for other people's opinions. Yeah. And yeah. so every single Theobrogen out there has a, an opinion <laughs> about you and me and like mm-hmm. how we're just not, not living into our biblical roles as men <laughs> or women or, yeah. you know, yeah. queer. it's, yeah. it's astounding. So thank you a, for being so vulnerable in, in sharing us a whole book about your journey towards it. Mm. Um, man, there's so many directions we could go in. Um, well, let's talk about like identifying words for a second, if you don't mind, because yeah, sure. this is also something that I've been exploring myself. Like when I first came out, I just came out as a gay, gay man, because I think that's like the most closely identifying thing, but also like, kind of like how you said, as you were exploring uh, queer theory and uh, being witness to all these various different identities, um, you kind of like said like buy or pan and for me, like, it's kind of like the same thing of just like, I, um, 
I'm attracted to genders like my own and genders not like my own, but there are days that I'm not even sure what my gender is. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. how do, how do I, um, you know, and then I also ask the question, you know, why do I feel more comfortable with the word queer than I do with the word like bisexual or pansexual? Yeah. It's very interesting. So um, you said like you would identify as bisexual or pansexual. What um, for you, like what do those terms mean as far as your own identity is concerned? Yeah. I mean, I think that, language is a funny thing, you know, and we try to contain some sense of meaningfulness in them, you know, and we want to be able to um, reach across boundaries or anything that, um, you know, that would maybe prevent a person from understanding or connecting with who you are. And so I think that, I think that to use those terms for me, I feel like gives me a little bit of a handhold and gives another person, like the person I'm talking to, um, some kind of a handhold, you know? Mm-hmm. And so at least it's like some sort of an entrance into just beginning to talk about the possibility of gender and sexuality as being very fluid. Um, but I think that it's hard. I think, I think people have, I know that people still have this sort of assumption that, oh, you know, if you identify as bi or pan, that's just like a stepping stone to being lesbian mm-hmm, or right. to being gay. Um, and so, you know, we, we, you know, I know that you know this for sure, that um, the sort of erasure that happens around identities um, because of that, there's, you know, that, that issue of, um, of normativity. So like we have heteronormativity for sure, but there's a homonormativity out there that's that, that yeah, 100%. be is oppressive and um, shaming and um... 100% like the thing I automatically comes to mind like I love Atlanta it's a super duper queer city mm-hmm. um, but like going to certain bars in town or like there's like midtown when there's the intersection of uh, I can't remember the intersection because at 10th and Piedmont mm-hmm. there's like a, a set of like three different bars that just like if you go there on a Friday Saturday night and you do not look as close to you know, white cis gay male with a six pack and like a tank of a body. Yeah. It's like you, I almost feel, I don't know if this is like my own personal self-consciousness around being around so many people who aren't like myself, Yeah, but it, it feels like a little bit like, you know, there's nobody in this bar who's going to be interested in talking to me uh, mm-hmm. because I don't look yeah. like this archetype of the like gay male Adonis. Mm, yeah. um, and then if I, you know, heaven forbid I wear like a lip color or like some sort of like eye makeup yeah. because then like, you know, you're, if, if you're not like cis identifying or cis presenting yeah. completely people like you're, that's what I'm trying to get at. You're totally right. There is like this homonormativity of like, this is what it means to look like to be a gay male, mm-hmm. uh, a queer female. Yeah. But it's like there's so many different ways of presenting queerness. Yeah. Um, and it looks it looks as diverse as the human race. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I struggle with those those labels. Uh, but sometimes mm. I think I have to start somewhere. Um, right. But I still just, I definitely feel more at home, more comfortable in queerness. Because it's so expansive, you know? Like, right. it's, it's so uncontained and um, it has so many possibilities, like you said. And, um, but I, but, but that is also to not, um, elide other people's desires to choose their, their label or their designation. Of course. Um, Because I think that that, you know, that's part of the whole, that's part of the whole work that we're doing here, you know, to create a space for people to figure out who they are and, um, and figure out a language that is helpful and useful, um, for them, for me too. And that's been the big thing too for me is like it just language is a tool, but it's not the, it's it's a tool, not a box. And I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of people want to, you know, I like yeah. I think about my like and like for like for people who are like just getting into the conversation and learning about it, like there are moments where like if I walk into a room with my family, I'll just identify as gay because they can understand. Kevin is you know a boy even though he wears lipstick sometimes mm-hmm. and he likes other boys so boom that's yeah. easy for them mm-hmm. like if I try to explain like gender fluidity or like queer queerness not just as an identity but just as like like a politic and a way of expansive love mm-hmm. um that goes far beyond just like you know who I'm attracted to yeah but like how I want to like build a system of life and a, a family around mm-hmm. me yeah um 
you know, they can't, they can't handle it. It's very, it's not that they couldn't <laughs> handle it, but they just don't, they wouldn't understand it. And I, when I go home for the holidays, I just want to eat um, turkey and just like chill and yeah. drink beer with my brothers. <laughs> I don't want to like sit there and like be a teacher to them all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other piece too, is just like, you know, dealing with the language, like you said, and the labels and identities and, and then just, you know, it's the labor around it too. Mm. You know, it's exhausting to, to try to explain yourself. And so, I mean, we have, um, similar experiences in terms of being people of color. So that's one identity that has to constantly be explained. I mean, we just had that just now, 10 minutes ago, and I'm still completely mortified and such an idiot. I wish I didn't <laughs> open my mouth. God, this is it what is, happens when I open my mouth. Listen, um, this is totally fun because <laughs> like, I mean, on the surf, I get, I get red as wet all the time. It's not a, not a thing that I worry about too much. Oh Lord. Well, I mean, your last name though, guy. Yeah. Oh, fuck I me. mean, at least, at least you didn't do like what most, what most white folks do. Just like, are you really Hispanic? <laughs> like, are you really a Latino? I'm like, first of all, oh, I Latinx and yeah. B. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh God. That's so painful. Okay. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, that makes me cringe. It's also been a journey because I, I didn't even know like how to wrestle with my own racial identity until right around when I came out. And what I, what I love too is I think another similar point in our stories is where you started like getting into like queer theory and studying things around that. And you said you felt like you were in church. That was the same part for me was part of my racial identity Mm -hmm. awakening because um, I attended um, the Academy for Racial Justice that Reformation Project put on, and Ana Jelsey Velasco Sanchez uh, was the facilitator. And she, it was in that space, I was asked like, asked, like, hey, Kevin, do you consider yourself a person of color? And I had never thought about it mm. because my entire life, I was like, I knew my last name was Garcia, but just like, I know that like being white passing has its privileges, being male passing has its privileges. Um, and also, my ginger beard like throws everybody for a loop. <laughs> Um, I love it. That's so great. It's yeah. I like it too. I think it's probably the, uh, I don't want to say my most attractive feature. My legs are doing really good these days. Lots of yoga. (laughs) Ooh, nice. I do love Um, a good, I do love some good gams. (laughs) Yes. Um, But it's really interesting if like I, another quote that like also sticks out to me, Justin Lee said at a conference two years ago that if he didn't, if he wasn't gay, he doesn't know if he would in like have interrogated the rest of everything else with an intersectional mm-hmm. justice work. Yeah. And I think it was the same thing with me and my identities where if I wasn't a queer person, um, I don't know if I would have interrogated anything else around racial justice or um, intersectional justice or women's liberation or justice mm. for immigrants, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Mm. I love that. That is amazing. Um, just the way those different sort of uh, marginal kind of marginalized identities. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It creates some sort of uh, compassion and empathy and awareness of you know all the different sort of um, intersecting identities that are experiencing that kind of oppression or whatever. Um, Yeah, that's so cool. That's a really neat part of your story. I love hearing that. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) switching gears a little bit. Um, So you, so I assume you came out fairly recently, I guess, with um, this release of this book. And um, you said that, uh, I just like, how has your community reacted? How has it been... And again, you don't have to answer anything you don't want to answer, by the way, um, yeah. if you don't yeah. want to. But like, I am curious, like, yeah. I know for so many women um, coming out when they're in a relationship with, you know, their husband already um, tends to be can have a couple of different reactions, whether it's um, I've known women who their husbands divorce them um, or uh, they just like get a lot of questioning around their bisexuality because they're in a relationship with a man mm-hmm. so what's so I guess like what's the what's the reaction been like since coming out since announcing you were writing this book etc yeah it's uh it's still a it's still it's been a little bit better um I think initially it was a lot of concerned messages and emails <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry I don't mean I, I don't mean to laugh it's it's just okay. one of those things like yep I know that life yeah yeah so I got a couple of emails, but I'd say 
that my husband, that Andy got a ton of messages from his friends. Like, are you okay? Is everything okay? Like what's Mm. happening? (laughs) You know, kind of thing. Um, Mm. you know, and so it's just, just this constant discernment and working out and articulating and trying to make sense of it all Mm. and to be as, um, as present in it. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's one thing if it's like good friends, you know, close friends for the most part. Um, it's another thing if it's just random, you know, people in the public, um, Mm. who are just curious about your business or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I guess I, I, so I'm a, an Enneagram seven. So, you know, I'm always trying to put the positive spin on everything and looking at it as an opportunity for growth and (laughs) an opportunity Mm -hmm. for learning and figuring things out and, um, and, and sort of redefining what it means to be committed and faithful. And, um, it's hard. It's definitely hard work. Um, and it's not pretty and it's maybe not what you would want it to look like or expect it to look like. Um, but you know, we take it a day at a time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's probably also, an, I mean, obviously there's an added layer um, being an Asian American woman. Um, are you, is your family like, are you like first generation American or like has your family been um, in the United States for a while? Cause I know yeah, that, all, so- that definitely plays like a big part in um, queer coming out stories, especially for people of color. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, uh, my parents are immigrants. Um, I immigrated as well. I was only a ba- I was a year old. I was a baby though. So mm. I'm considered, um, Korean Americans do it differently. So we're considered, just, I'm considered second generation. And so, um, yeah, yeah. My parents are, you know, what you would expect in terms of, you know, they're diehard Presbyterian Christians, um, Korean culturally, uh, super socially, politically mm-hmm. conservative. Uh, they did not vote for Trump, for Trump, and so I'm very relieved <laughs> to hear that. You know what? That was definitely a question mark. When you see your parents next time, I want you to give them the biggest hug from me on behalf of, <laughs> on behalf of our community. Yeah, yeah. I should <laughs> but mom and dad, this happened again. Just like thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean we haven't had any. We've had like two conversations. I sent them a couple of chapters of, from the book. Um, it's so so their their mo has really been to avoid talking about it and um thinking about it because they feel like well nothing has really changed in the surface of your life you're going to stay married and you're going to still be the mother to these children and you're you know a presbyterian minister and um and so so the main i think what's been hard is hearing these questions of theirs like what's the point you know why bother yeah. even talking about it or take on the identity um, or entering into those conversations, um, you know, then that creates some doubt for myself. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, what is the point? Um, but, but having conversations like this with you and um, with other good friends who know me and see me and, and realize that this is again, tied to like liberation, you know, yeah. tied to redemption, tied to being, fuller and more they were (laughs) there was this um group thread where um they just uh the folks in this thread they were like you know hashtag more mihi you know (laughs) this is about being more who i am than and it is really significant and really important and necessary so um yeah yeah i mean it, it it hasn't been the sort of traumatic kind of you know to hear stories from other people um, that just kind of being either re- totally outright rejected or disowned or, 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 um, continuing to deal with this sort of, um, aggression and opposition, even while maintaining those, you know, family relationships. Um, I just think like, yeah, it could be a lot worse, you know? And, and I so mean, I'm surprised. Worse, that's for but, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I think um, like, that's like what you said right there. It's just like so many people, like the the recurring questions is like what's the point like you're in a marriage you have kids you're a pastor like what's the if you're not gonna if you're not dating a woman what's the point and like (laughs) what i've heard from other bisexual other bisexual women specifically is like the point is like i am gaining my full self Mm. like i get to 
live into something that God created and calls good. Yeah. You know, even if, even if I'm not like, even if you're not like going into, uh, you know, another relationship with someone of the same gender yeah, or someone like, that's not the point. The point is I get to own something. I get to own my story. I get to own my body. I get to own, um, these feelings I've had my entire life and have mm-hmm. felt weird about. Yeah. Um, and now I get to call good what God calls very good. Mm. Man, you are preaching to me. Yes. Thank you for that. I, I mean, love that's, that. That's what I see. Listen, put me on the pulpit, y'all. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting seminary this fall. And like, I cannot wait oh, to get to preaching class because I'm just like, oh my goodness. Can yeah. I test? Can I test out of it? I don't know. <laughs> no, you're not going to want to because it's going to be really fun for you. I can tell you're going to really love it. Ugh, I am excited. It's something that I am. Um, I really enjoy. I think, I think the art of storytelling, because I think that's really what good preaching is. Yeah, is you know taking taking scripture, making it real life for other people. Hmm. But a lot of the time, I think like if you if you can't tell a good story, like or like, um, be vulnerable enough with yourself on the pulpit to let other people. One of my friends said that being a pastor is just being willing to fail in public. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. And. <laughs> the the way I try to do it is just like I want to I'll lead by self incrimination I'll tell you all the things I didn't do correctly. Oh my goodness, I love that. Um, I love that. That's perfect. I mean, I think that you're already you know that's half the battle right there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just think about um, who occupies that space around the pulpit in the pulpit. Um, I mean, that that'll be a whole other book that we should talk about. Mm. writing together <laughs> with other Honey. folks. I would love like essays about um, queering worship and the table and yes. the pulpit. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? Um, Ooh, listen, I'm about to write this down in like my <laughs> long-term projects. Do it, please. We will return to it um, anytime. We'll yeah. We'll, <laughs> well, like, yeah. You'll, you'll all be in the middle of my master's. You'll be in the middle of your PhD. I'm just like, hey, do you want to like write a book real quick? Like, <laughs> Let's just do it. Um, and so where are you going to seminary? Are you staying in Atlanta? Yeah, I am actually going to Columbia Theological, which Yee! is a Presbyterian seminary, no less. Yes, that's so awesome. I love so many people at that seminary. It's so good. I'm so excited. If you want to intro us via the um, emails, because I'm always trying to network and make new connections. Yes, I will definitely do that. And now I just have like another reason to go to Atlanta. There's so many reasons now. Come on down. Oh, I'm getting my so first fun. apartment on my, well, not my first apartment. I'm getting my uh, first solo apartment on Ooh, Sunday. You which, are officially an adult. Wow. That's what they say. They say like you ha- you need to live alone at least once in your life. And I'm just yeah. like, I am an eight on the Enneagram with a seven wing. And ah, yeah. that seven wing is so strong. I love being around people. I need <laughs> to be around people. Yeah. Um, because otherwise I get, s- I don't want to say super depressed, but just yeah. like I, yeah. I am learning what it is to to be by myself and what it yeah. is to be alone. Um, what it is to like have like, as my public life is expanding to kind of have like a smaller private life where like I spend a lot of time with just a few people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and letting yeah. that, those people be my kind of like um, the way I characterize it is something actually Rob Bell has said before was like the difference between what you have on the front porch and what you have in your living room. Mm, I love that. That's really good. That sounds super healthy too. Like a healthy way of having uh, community and friendships and being sustained yeah. by people. That's good. And then also like what the difference between like what's on the street and what's on the front porch. Like, you know, what am I presenting to like the whole freaking world? What is like a little bit more of like still public, but not as, mm. uh, not needed to be more known. And then something that I keep for myself. Like I wrote an essay last night mm. that I'm not going to publish anywhere. Um, simply because like I needed to write something and cry mm. because mm. I, I needed to. Yeah. And, and so I think there's this expectation of people who do public work that we're just always going to put our shit out there yeah. and we're just going to let everybody just like pick it apart and like, yeah. And yeah. it's so hard because like the internet these days, like everyone just wants to dissect everything about you. And like, everyone right. wants to just like, everything you do is like this political theological statement about everything. I'm just like, no, that was literally a Tyra Banks meme. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing deeper going on there. Yeah. That's so true. Like to make, make things so much bigger than, yeah, sometimes we just want to like 
I don't know, put up a dumb picture. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I I just want to like, I want to be stupid and I want to like go, you know, drink a couple, uh, I want to drink too much beer in public and be stupid sometimes. Okay. (laughs) Who doesn't want to do that? That just sounds so great. I love that. (laughs) That's it's so interesting to like be this person and, and like, and you know, just like doing public work, it's just a lot sometimes. Um, yeah. so yeah. you, no, go ahead. I think you're in the middle of it. No, no, no. I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm thinking about all that too. Um, what was another thing I want to bring in? Let me pull up your little bio to see, cause I, I highlighted the things that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so your, your new book outside the lines, how embracing queerness will transform your faith. Um, not to give it away too much, but like how, how did embracing queerness transform your faith? Like, even though that's like a really huge question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it, it gave me a much more, um, much more connected and anchored view of who God is. Um, and one that was again, really open and, um, expansive and capacious and, and generous and hospitable so that it wasn't, um, you know, so that I'm not just, I don't know, I, I guess I, I felt like my understanding of who God is and my relationship with Jesus, all of that was feeling a little stagnant um, mm. or something. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. There was just something about reading who Jesus is in the New Testament through uh, sort of a queer hermeneutic that just uh, made me see who he is in a totally different way. Right. Um, and so, you know, I go through various stories, um, I really spent a ton of time with, um, like Jesus with the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah. I mean, there's just, you know, to not just read it with the typical, uh, either evangelical or sort of European theological (laughs) lens, um, but to think about, okay, you know, to, to take each sort of phrase and interaction and moment um, and look at that in um, in a way that is super challenging. Um, so just their whole their whole interaction, I just felt like um, when I was looking at it through. Um, so I take this notion of disidentification, and that's um, from this queer theorist who I think he's actually passed away now, um, but Jose, Jose Esteban Munoz. Um, so he wrote something called, uh, he's written, written a lot of stuff. I should Google him really quick. Um, but like Cruising Utopia, for instance, and that actually, the first sort of chapter of that book, you just think, oh my God, this is eschatological. It's theological. It's about hope. Um, it's about the future. Just the way that he writes um, was super challenging and beautiful and provocative. So he has this notion of disidentification as being sort of part of this process of queerness. And, and so I, I was looking at, how Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, you know, he, she, they're, they're kind of putting out all these labels and he's embodying this label. You know, she's like, how can you as a Jew talk to me? Um, and so it, just the way that he embodies this kind of disidentifying with um, what was, uh, what was expected of him in terms of being a Jewish single man as a rabbi, as a teacher, um, he just kind of blows open all of that through that sort of disidentification. Um, and I, I just loved being able to read the scripture in that particular passage in that way. Um, and then you kind of feel like, oh, you're meeting these characters that have become so familiar to you. Um, these people who, you know, you, you, you don't even have to read the passage anymore. You know exactly what the story is, but then to be able to read through those, um, through those kind of stories and through those kind of, that kind of framework felt like um, it just, it breathes new life into uh, a story that I felt like I knew that I'd identified with. um, And I don't know, you know, it becomes sort of life changing. Yeah. I totally like retweet cosign. (laughs) Because like that was, that was the same thing for me. It's just like, it wasn't just about like getting free to like express sexuality and gender for myself. Mm. It was this big 
I see God in this bigger thing. And I'm finally okay with admitting that I, I, I don't know shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the lie of the lie of white Jesus is that white Jesus like has all of your answers. White Jesus um, has a very clear cut answer for who's in and who's out. And, you know, it's like this expansive view of God and, and the universe and, all these sacred experiences I started having outside of a church or even a Christian experience um, began to unlock all these things. It was like, Oh, like it's like all these like Jacob moments where like I wake up to the presence of God. I'm just like, surely God was in this place. And I had no idea. Mm, I love that. And I think that's like, (laughs) if my biggest invitation to anybody who is like loving but not affirming or like doesn't know what to do with their queer friends, even though like it's very obvious you should just support and love them. <laughs> um, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, who who wouldn't do that? But um, is uh, I always invite, I was like, come, come to a worship set that is like geared toward queer people, like with a bunch of queer people led by queer people if possible, because the moment you see just like what could be described as ordinary worship um, it's kind of like what you said, like it reframes this whole conversation. Um, and I'm about to quote Sue Ann Shaw again, because I do this every freaking week. <laughs> Sue Ann Shaw. Oh my gosh. I can do it. I want to hear it. Um, but we talked about on the last podcast, how just like mm-hmm. when it's coming from a different person, like whoever is leading the song or like reading the scripture, we don't even have to change the, um, we don't even have to change the wording. We don't have to change um, you know, the context, we can just read what's on the paper. Mm. And because it's coming from, from you and from me, people who are considered outside of the tribe, outside of the normative, yeah. um, it, it takes on a whole new meaning. So like in worship, like where I sing, um, you know, there's, th- there's this, um, the song oceans by Bethel. Oh my God. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I, when I sing spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Mm. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper. Yeah. Like that level of trust for a queer person to put back in a faith system that has totally broken you mm. and called you names and made you feel like an other. Yeah. That is a revolutionary act to say, yes, I know that there is a church that doesn't want me, but I know there is a God who does. Mm. Oh my goodness. That's so good. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm, I got emotional oh, just now. Yeah, I know. And I like, you know, the story of the woman at the well. Like, I love that story personally because I think, like, that story to me is Jesus going up to this woman and saying, hey, I know who you are and I, you're beloved all the same. Yeah. And you have, because you are who you are and mm. along with your story, not in spite of your story, you can have access to this living water. Yeah. You know, yes, I love that. Yeah, he totally. Yeah, Jesus in these stories totally embodies the uh, because of, not in spite of. You know, mm. because of your story. Yeah, I love that so much. That's so good. Ugh. Oh man. Oh, I'm getting all sorts of emotions. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, I need to take some breaths <laughs> here. <laughs> I do too. I get all hyped up, and I think it's like it's like the seven, and both of us are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Get That's really so jazzed good. on stuff. It's, <laughs> sorry that we love Jesus so much, everybody. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, um, I know that you probably have to get going in a little bit because you got to go pick up your BBs. Yes, I do. They Ugh, would be sad I, if I didn't get them. <laughs> just chilling outside. No big deal. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for for sitting down with me, and I'm so glad Kinji connected us. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited for your book. I can't wait to get my hands on it and just pick it apart and, um, you know, just trash you on the internet for all the heresies you've written. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And I am so thankful for the space that you've created. It's, um, it's really a hard thing to do. Like you said, to, to do something like this, to create something like this and to create a space like this, um, to be so hospitable when so much of the world is inhospitable, um, you know, to us. And so, um, yeah, thank you for being so courageous and hmm. um, for being so generous with your space and your time and your story. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to keep on um, following your work and, and listening to all the stories. And you're going to Columbia, which makes me think, are you going to become Presbyterian? Ah, uh, you know, that's the question of the hour, <laughs> isn't it? It's like, it's yes, one of these things where like, just like, cause, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say it's a very good question and it's a pressing question. And uh, one that I, <laughs> either way, I, I, you know, I'm supportive of wherever your path leads you. Yeah. It's because like, there's definite benefits to like becoming a part of a larger mainline denomination like that. Um, mm-hmm. The connections, the jobs, things like that. For sure. I grew up evangelical and Baptist and the church I go to now is uh, a part of the Alliance of Baptists, which is a fully mm-hmm. inclusive, anti-racist, pro-LGBT, pro-women denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel so comfortable in that yeah. space. I, I feel comfortable with that style of worship. Yeah. Um, and generally, I feel like a lot of my, um, you know, like, I'm such like a, I'm very much a mystic. And so just like, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. To, I, I don't know what it looks like to be a firm or like get confirmed in a denomination, um, especially if I don't. And I like my friend Emmy's trying to get me to become a Lutheran. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, We're all trying to get you to to get on yeah. our team. <laughs> my friend, um, I have a friend of mine who is a UCC. Uh, he's in training to be a UCC pastor at Harvard, and so it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah. I I don't yeah. know. Yeah, because like it also it's the question of just like what do I want my life to look like post MDiv, and part of me doesn't know if I'm actually going to end up in a actual traditional. Um, uh, congregational context. I think it just depends on if I can get this book, um, sold. And if I, um, also publishers, if you're out there listening to this, um, I want to write a book and I have a book proposal ready. I just need you to read it and give me a book deal. So (laughs) I'm putting that out there. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, we should talk outside of this about that as well. I'd love to support that. Thank you. I sign me up. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I think it just depends on just like what my public work looks like over the next three years. I know that I want to get my MDiv for the knowledge and the pastoral care training that I know that I need. Mm. So who yeah. knows where I'll end up? Yeah. Don't yeah. know. No, that's fine. You know what? And I'm looking at his website and it looks really nice. <laughs> you know, just oh, my website? Well, your website, definitely. But the Alliance of Baptists. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. wow, They're- this is pretty good. They're dope. I love Alliance of Baptists because like they are Baptists in the best way because the Baptist ethos is basically um, a um, autonomy of the local church and to to be able to make um, decisions based on their own local conscience and local context. So like when Southern Baptist Convention and sort of like garnering all their power in Nashville saying you have to believe this way in order to be a part of this denomination there are some people just like, actually, that's not like the, the least Baptist thing you could do. <laughs> that's true. That's so and funny. Like literally SBC is like the least Baptist group of all the Baptists. Oh God. What and so you? like um, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship split off in like the 80s, oh, I think, yeah, like yeah. late 80s. And then same with, and like in 1987, the Alliance of Baptist form, I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm horrible with dates. <laughs> no, I think, it's, I mean, like they have William Barber on the front page. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw Robin Henderson Espinosa somewhere. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. I'm just like, listen, good. we're just a bunch of, just a bunch of Southern queers. Just <laughs> trying to, I don't know. I don't think William Barber is queer. I actually don't know. I don't I've never actually... I don't think he is. I've never actually met him, like mm-hmm. shook his hand before, but I've seen him preach a few times. And oh, okay, yeah. Holy mess. Right, right. Mm. Oh my gosh. I think he's also technically disciples. I have a feeling he's disciples. Like, disciple, like yeah. disciples of Christ, really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> uh, I actually but... just, I just, uh, I was a speaker at a, a DOC camp like two weeks ago. Oh, awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. I, like I didn't it. know how, I didn't know how awesome they were. <laughs> yeah. Now you know. Yeah. Now I know. That was my conversation with my friend Mihi Kimcourt. You can connect with Mihi across social media at Mihi Kimcourt and on her website, mihikimcourt.com. And be sure to pick up her copy of Outside the Lines How Embracing Queerness Will Transform Your Faith wherever you get your books. It's available now. It launched on July 1st. It's amazing. It's incredible. I cannot wait to dig my, my, uh, my, my teeth into it. I'm not going to eat this book. That's a weird saying. I can't wait to dig into it. It's going to be fabulous. Thank you, Mihi. I loved this conversation so much. I'll talk to you again soon, girl. 
A Tiny Revolution is supported by 113 amazing people on Patreon. And if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a way for me to crowdfund the work that I do. Uh, I'm an independent creative, which means I don't have the blue apron money. I don't have someone else doing this. I'm a solo team doing this on a budget while also paying my bills and my rent and other things. So when you help contribute to the creation of this podcast, you're also helping me live my life so I can continue to do creative things like this. So if you love this podcast, if you think in interesting conversations like this are important, go to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia and learn how to become a sustaining partner today. Um, I think that's everything. Go ahead and follow me on all the social media. Go check me out at thekevingarcia.com. If you want to book me for another event or something coming up this fall, go ahead and drop me a line. Or if you just want to comment or let me know how you like the show, leave me a comment there. I'll love to hear from you, honey. Um, I think that's everything. See you at Wild Goose Festival this weekend. And yeah, drink some water. Go see your therapist. Yog. Is it yogging or jogging? I don't know. Um, do something, move your body, dance to the music, or, you know, just listen to the music, whatever you prefer. Eat something delicious. I love you. This has been another episode of A Tiny Revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I'm going to talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.